Good evening and welcome to our service. Uh, we're going to welcome you uh, here a little. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm going to open us in a word of prayer and then we'll get to sing some hymns and missions moment and favorites and things upcoming. But let us open in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you that we can gather together in your house to sit ourselves under your word that the Spirit of God can use it and we can be more like him be with the songs and the singing that would be done as unto you and we can praise you and worship you through the songs that we sing and with our hearts being open and tender and father we just thank you so much that we can gather together this evening and center ourselves around Jesus Christ and his word being preached and we do this to bring honor and glory to his name amen All right, good evening. Thanks so much for joining us for worship. Please stand with me and open your hymn books to hymn number 395, Make Me a Blessing. We'll sing all three verses. seated as we turn back to hymn number 392. Who is on the Lord's side? 392. We'll sing all four verses.
380. Faithful men. We'll sing both verses. 
482, let's see if you can do any better here. 482, we'll sing verse 2. 482, verse 2. I will learn this one. Come back to me when I'm up again, and we'll sing it next time, all right? 145. Who was it that picked that one? Hold me to it, John, all right? Hold me to it, all right? 31 in the blue book. 31 in the blue book. The one who lives again. I do know this one. We'll play it through once, though, since I, we've been singing it in the choir, but you all may not know this one. Play it through. The one who lives again. Once you think of another one, and I'll come back to you when we do 63. 63 in the blue book, Glorious Indescribable.
I was singing the tenor. We, didn't we just sing this in the choir? I've got this one in my head. I, th I literally sang the tenor part. I'm sorry. <laughs> John, what do you got for me? 105 in the blue book. For me to live is Christ. Please stand with me. We'll sing the first and the last. Good evening. If you guys would, open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. When we look at today, we, we have so much information at our fingertips. We're always ready that we can go and find something. That we can always, we can question it. I, I remember in college, we had the opportunity that if a teacher said something, or maybe even a preacher made a statement, you'd go, hmm, is that true? Maybe, maybe you see them on, especially today's day, with political, they'll say something and you want to go, you go, is that true? So you pull out your phone, computer, whatever, and you Google and you ask, is this like a true statement? You try and find the information itself. And you just take it for what it is sometimes. But other times you do challenge it. When you read through 1 Samuel 2, you see men abusing Leadership, and they start abusing the offerings, and they're abusing their authority in the ch and what's well, the church in the temple. 
when we look at the opportunities that we have here and that we're able to look at through history that Scripture was not always ready, readily available. They was taught to them in different aspects, but one of the things that we can look at is that people just weren't taking advantage of what they had to their, at their fingertips. They had, if they had a copy or a scripture, they weren't taking it seriously. And that allowed men, two sons, to step up and take advantage of the system. You know, when we, we look, if I were to summarize where we're at in this so far, what we're seeing here is that God is showing the state of Israel. He's showing where they're at. Up until now, chapters 1 and up to this point in chapter 2, we've been seeing a broken family and how people have just not listened to God's word. And now we look in this chapter, we look in these few verses this evening, we're going to see some brokenness in the tabernacle, I'm sorry, in the tabernacle, and that these sons that were supposed to lead Israel closer to God ended up only assisting in its departure. Read with me 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in this hand. And he, stuck the, and he struck it into the pan or the kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh it brought up for the priest for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all Israelites that came thither. And before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed it, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let not fail to burn the fat presently, then take as much as thy soul desireth. And he said, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of God. We look at this passage here, and we see that God is calling for men of God. I don't like, when we look at passages sometimes, I, I always want to make it some way applicable or bring everyone's attention to it. And not so, if I use the word, pigeonhole it to just one group of people. But you read through these verses, and it's just, Men were taking advantage. They weren't leading when they're supposed to. So when you read through here, one of the main things we have to look at is that God is calling for men of God, men of character, men to lead as necessary. And we're going to look through here. We're going to look through this passage and see the little nuggets we can pull out of seeing how God can work and use it in our lives and how we can reflect on it. The first thing is that these men were worthless and the necessity of godly men. Verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were no, sorry. Now, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. First thing we got to really understand is what the word Belial actually means. Belial is this idea of worthless. Literally good for nothing. These men, these two guys, Hoth and Phineas were good for nothing. They weren't worth listening to. They, were, they weren't doing anything that was right. And the interesting thing, if we look at this, earlier in the book, we also see Belial being used. But it's actually Eli referencing Hannah, and he, he almost, well, sorry, Hannah's responding back as saying, you just think I'm a daughter of Belial. You just think I'm worthless, that I'm at the, I'm at the tabernacle praying, I'm a drunkard, and his own sons were truly that of Belial. He, he missed what was right in front of him. The family unit was broken from the very beginning. And the father wasn't leading necessary. And because of that, it was bleeding into the worship. Other instances that we can see of Belial is Deuteronomy 13, 13. That's when we see the, a deceptive prophet come along. And uh, Moses is an example of a prophet that comes along that will deceive and mislead Israel. It says, certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and would have drawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which ye have not known. These are men that are coming into Israel saying, hey, come worship other gods with us. These men that are doing that, are, they're good for nothing. They're wicked, rebellious men. Judges 19 and 20. 
Belial is what's used to describe the Benjamites that are coming looking for the Levite. 1 Samuel 25, 17. Abigail actually references her own husband, Nabal, as a child of Belial. He's like, David's done these good things for you. you ch-. And she's talking to her servants, go, my husband's a, is a child of Belial. Don't listen to him. Go do these things. Go, let's go to David and let's chase him down and let's do what's right. 2 Chronicles 13, 7. The followers of Jeroboam were, ch- were children of Belial's. They, these men are what led to the sp- ultimate splitting of Israel. So we look at this first little point here, and it says, sons of Belial. As Christians today, how can we look at that? How, what can we do with that piece of information? There's not much to go on. But if you were actually to look up the word, a concordance, pull out your phone and just search in, the new, in your Bible app, whatever, and just put in Belial, you'll see multiple references. It says about, I believe mine said 17 references. Only one of them is in the New Testament. We're going to be actually spending a little bit of time there, so if you guys would, why don't you jump over with me to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, 15. 2 Corinthians 6, 15. 2 Corinthians 6.15 says, What accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what hath he that believeth with an infidel? Paul's just simply saying, what are, you, what are we doing? If you are truly a believer, what have you to do with wickedness? What do you have to do with rejecting God? Are you going to be good for nothing? We're actually reading several of the verses around it, even making reference to what Paul's putting it in context, saying. Verse 14. I'm going to begin reading there. We're going to read through verse 7. Sorry, verse 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath with righteousness, with unrighteousness? What communion hath with light, with darkness? And what concord, sorry, what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what hath he that believeth with an infidel? And he that make, and what maketh wow, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and I shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing which I have received you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughter, saith the Lord Almighty. Because this is the only reference in the New Testament, I felt like this was a very clear show of having to give as a comparison option to there, to what a Belial is there and we see in 1 Samuel. The very first verse there, at the very end, it says, What community hath light with darkness? I don't know about you, but that's all, my mind immediately goes to one passage. And I'm sure some of the teens that are doing their Bible study may be thinking about this right now, but 1 John 1 is the first thing that came to my mind right now when you think about light with darkness. And we're going to kind of just walk through here and see what, is being, what's, what Christ is saying. The first thing that I read as I look through here is not being a child of Belial, a character of godliness is fellowship of godly believers. The first thing we're going to see is fellowship of godly believers. Look at verse 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? 1 John 1, 3. That, sorry, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that we also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with that of the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The first thing we, we're seeing is having to have fellowship. These men that were here with these sons, they, they didn't care. There was no one around them that was beneficial. The only people you read about in this passage, I think we have to recognize is where, what time they were in. They were in the time of the judges. And if we look at the time of the judges, it's not really a highlight in the life of Israel. It's more like a low point of having to see men that were serving themselves, rejecting God. That they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And we have to see, what, if we are true how, how can you be mixed with them? Light is going to be very clear, their fruit. 
The second thing will be first will be fellowship with unbelie- sorry fellowship with believers. Second thing they'll be walking with God. Verse sixteen. And what agreement had the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. First John one six and seven. And if you say that ye have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light. As, ye, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We look through here, and we can recognize that if we are going to not be worthless, we've got to make sure we are walking with God. We're going to start talking a little bit more about what that means the next point, but walking with God is going to be a big characteristic point. The next thing is, having to actually separate. The third one is separating from ungodly. If you're going to separate from something, you have to separate to something and to seek God. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them, that be ye separate, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 16 is the preface for that verse there. And he says, come out from among them. Come out from among the idols. And verse 18 is the response is, leave the idols. Come unto me. I will be your father. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Sorry, 8 through 10. And if we say that we have no sin, deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have to recognize to separate back to God, to not be someone who's misleading, leading a false life, if I can say it that way, having to live a life that is contrary to God's word, but having to remember and know God's word. And ultimately, that's why these men were worthless. These men were worthless because they did not know Scripture. So I feel like if we're going to look at these men as having to be children of Belial, to have godly character, we have to then have necessity to know God's Word. Necessary to know Scripture. Verses 13 through 17. And I'm going to emphasize specifically the end of verse 12. Why were they sons of Belial? They knew not God. Sorry, I'm back in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel. Uh, so back in 1 Samuel, they knew not God. And the priest's custom with the people was that when they made an offering, a sacrifice, the servant came, and while the sacrifice, sorry, the flesh was in seething, was a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand. And he struck into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot all that the flesh hook brought, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest came before and said to the man that sacrifice, Give flesh to roast for the priest, and he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto you, Let him not fail to burn the fat presently, they will take as much thy soul desireth, that he will answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. It's important to know Scripture. If we... For those who are unfamiliar with the Levitical law, there were five main sacrifices that were offered. Leviticus 1, you have the burnt offering. This was the whole thing was to be tossed on the altar and burned, and it was supposed to be a voluntary offering for God. Leviticus chapter 2, we get to the unleavened cakes. We start seeing um, that this is something that's supposed to be given as like a first fruits offering, and it's a sweet savor to the Lord. You would expect me to go to... Chapter 3, we're going to jump to chapter 4. We have the sin offering. The sin offering is having to just come realizing that you've sinned and making an offering to God. Then we have Leviticus 5, the trespass offering. It's a little bit more, it's a more detailed explanation of the sin offering. It goes into a little bit more detail. But the one we're really looking at that's going on here is Leviticus 3, the peace offering. The reason I skipped that one is we're going to be spending a little bit looking at it. If you're not 
a Hebrew scholar and you know what the Levitical law and it talks about here is the priest offering is Leviticus 3 is the priest offer the peace offering they were to take the fat the kidneys and then we talk about the gall above the liver they would take it they would offer it and what was ever left over this would be going just to the Lord whatever was left over was for the priest this was God's way of taking care of them and he says let me have the fat Many people, I've heard different people um, try and figure out why did God want the fat? I think one of the things they immediately think about is the health benefits. When we look through Scripture, a lot of things that were done for Israel was because it was unhealthy. They want to make sure that they would, they would have a healthy lifestyle, so we're not going to have them eat the fat. But if anyone in here has ever has a nice steak, you're looking for a steak with good marbling in it because the fat is also where a lot of the flavor is. And it ends up giving this sweet smelling. So I believe God wanted that to both give what was healthy, but also what was good for him. And that was the best part. These men were self-serving. They said, hey, before you roast it, before you do anything, I want it raw so I can cook it my way. I'm going to come over here. And if, they, and if anyone says, well, why are you doing this? Take it by force. Don't question. There seems like there were men that were trying to stand up. But they weren't enough of them. They refused and were unsuccessful. They won it by force. Even Leviticus 7, 28 through 34, it talks even more so. It gives them more detail, the passage where it explains a lot of what was done for the peace offering and how it was supposed to be given for the priest. And all you read through here in 13 through 16 is abuse, abuse, abuse. There's nothing said about a three-pronged hook in Leviticus, but you find it here in the temple. They're using young men to take advantage of it. It's the priest's servant. It's not the priests themselves. By the way, the, those who offered the, priest, the peace offering were the ones that were supposed to receive it. The priests weren't even there. They're saying, hey, this is for the priest. The priest servant's going to come along. They weren't even doing their duty. They were sending other little young men to go, and, and they were corrupting farther down. They were not raising just one generation. They were corrupting the next generation to do the same thing. And when people tried to reject it and they tried to do things, we end up seeing that they just took it by force. They just abuse, abuse, abuse. And you end up with verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. It's one of the, I would easily put that on there on the top of the saddest verses in Scripture of having to see that men that were to lead and be in an intermediary between God and man that were supposed to offer sacrifices were just serving themselves. They were just being men, the worst of it. The thing is, we look at this, and we, we kind of can just end it there. And it would be a sad, but all too real evaluation. But I think the last thing we also have to recognize is that God is working. Even though we see hardship, we see things, God is working. Verse 18, but... There's already a plan in place. Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Now Samuel was a Levite. He was a priest. He was of a priestly lineage. He was not of the high priest lineage. He could not act as a high priest as you would expect for um, eventually the replacing of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas. But what we do see is that he was a priest servant. He was ministering and serving in the temple, and he's being trained. God had a plan. He started raising another man. We didn't get a chance with Pastor last week to go over Hannah chapter 2. I'd like to read through verses 1 through 10, and we're going to talk quite a bit about that in the next several verses. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. 
My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee. There is neither any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty men are broken, and they stumble as girded with strength. They that were fully have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the bareth, so sorry, the barren hath borne seven, and she hath many children, is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He's raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars are of the earth are the Lord's. And he hath set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces out of the heaven. Sorry, out of heaven shall be thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. And he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What a prayer. If you read through that, there's a lot of things there that if you were familiar with chapter 1, that's from the heart. Everything that's going on there, she's just praying, saying, Lord, thank you for what you've done. You are a true God. I think she's also praying for Israel. Let's look through a little bit of this, what I mean by that. First thing is in Hannah's prayer, God is watching. Remember, we talk about how God has a plan. Verse 3, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogant come out of your mouth. Sounds a lot like these guys so far. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. God is watching and judging He's a God of knowledge. He sees everything. Proverbs 15, 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Even though these men were doing, I mean, just abusing the, abusing the tabernacle, God was watching. And he goes, their day is coming. Trust me, I'm preparing a plan. Verse 6, God is giving new life. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. Verse 7, the Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Without growth, there cannot be some sort of death that comes along. You think about when, we talk, when he talks a lot about having to trim the vine and having to prune it, that allows for new growth, for fruit to be produced. Verse Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, that you put off concerning the conversation, the old man which is corrupt to the deceitful lust, and be renewed with the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is after God is cre- which after God is cre- is created in righteousness and true holiness. The old man has to die for the new man to be brought up to be made alive again. Second Corinthians five seventeen very similarly. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What we see here in verse 6 and 7 is God saying, hey, some things are going to have to die, but I can give new life out of that. There's going to be pain, but joy will be in the morning. Verse 8, God is giving value. He raised up the poor out of the dust and lifted up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he hath set the world upon them. Samuel, as Pastor touched on this last week, Samuel comes from a terrible family situation. I can't imagine. And yet, you see nothing but a, I want to say a healthy ministry out of Samuel. Though Israel walks away because they rejected God. But Samuel is such a stark contrast to what his family was and what they went through. And he says, hey, out of the poor of the dust and out of the beggar of the dunghill are going to sit among princes. God's going to bring, is giving value. 
Romans 2.11, for there is no respecter of persons. Galatians 4, 5 and 7, to redeem them that were under law, you might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son, than an heir of God through Christ. As we, the last thing in Hannah's prayer, though, is that God is protecting what is his own. Verses 9 and 10. And he will keep the feet of his saints. And the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for the strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall be thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and, the, and he shall give strength unto his kings, and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's actually in our prayer here, I believe there's also some prophecy that we're going to see through. The first thing, though, is it talks about his saints. He will keep the feet of his saints. Habakkuk 3.19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet, and he'll make me to walk upon my high places. He gives them strength. He protects his saints to withstand darkness that's going to come. I think Hannah's possibly praying for her son in this as well, saying, son, let the Lord protect you. Psalm 91.4, he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. I'm giving you strength. He shall protect, he will keep the feet of his saints. The last thing we do see, I would say, is almost prophetic. And exalt the horn of his anointed. It's the beginning of the book. No mention yet of any kind of anointing. But something we will spend a decent amount looking at is David and Saul are God's anointed. Chosen specifically by God. And she's saying, he will give strength unto his king. There's no king at this point. God's going to exalt the horn of his anointed. He's going to protect and he's going to, he has a plan. We haven't seen it yet. Man, it's so early in the book that we don't even see how God's putting everything, all the pieces together. But he's working in the background. And I'd say that's an encouragement. We look at 12 through 17 and there's nothing but discouragement. I can't imagine having to be living in this time and having to live during the judges and seeing nothing but discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. But we look here and we're able to see that God was working. There's pain involved because man's sinful choices, but God is working. So, how do we, what do we do with this? How do we apply this passage? First thing is, know God's word. Young men, the greatest thing that we can do is know God's word. You are going to be the building blocks for the next generation Will you be able to lead? And if you are leading, how are you leading? Do you know God's word? Fathers, we can't lead our families in our own ability. We have to trust in God. We have to lean and know his word that we can make sure we are raising our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, everything at this point has been about men. And I don't, like I said, don't like pigeonholing that for the ladies that are just sitting here like, what about me? Don't worry, I have something here for you. Ladies, For those that are young or single, when a man comes along or whatever, a prospect, if I can put it that way, know God's word enough to know whether he's going to be fake or real. Waiting is worth it, knowing God's word, to know that identity here. Mothers, you are arguably the most greatest influential person that that will ever have on a man or a child's life in general being able there to nourish them and grow them and encourage them in ways that fathers will try to but will never be around them as much. You have the greatest opportunities to teach your children scriptures. Take that opportunity. Teach them God's word. But we cannot forget to rest that God is working. And I'm going to close as I read verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7. Paul says, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. We must recognize that God is working, and he's giving the increase. 
And we have to trust him even during the darkest of circumstances. Let us pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word as we have a blessing to have it at our fingertips that we can worship you and we can praise you. Lord, I also just ask though that as we have young men, young ladies, many families in the church, that they will know your word, that they will be ready to raise the next generation to, be, to look to you. Father, I also just pray though that we can rest in knowing that you are in control. As hardships come and things are difficult, we know that you're in control and we can just praise you for it. As we leave from here, help us to rest in your goodness and your grace. Pray this in his precious and holy name. Amen. Mr. Tory, would you lead us in our closing song? Open to hymn number 389. Hymn 389. Working on it. Didn't quite get it there. <laughs> 389 is your all on the altar. Please stand with me. Sing all four verses.
great singing this evening. Thank you so much for joining us for worship this evening. Please be safe as you travel to your homes and reflect on the scriptures that were preached this evening. Brother Tidquist, would you come up and close us in prayer? Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for the service this morning and this evening. Thank you for the documentation from the life of Hannah, Samuel, Eli, and his sons that we can glean from, learn from, and apply to our own hearts and lives. We would pray that we would leave this place saying that it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. So at this time, dismiss us to our separate abodes, give us safe travel, bring us back at the appointed time. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.